The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of The Breakfast Club, where we will discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings. Yes, there are some in this movie from the 1980s. And joining me today on the panel are Father Chip Hines. Hi, Father Chip. Hey, Dom. How you doing? Very well, thanks. Shelly Kelly. Hi, Shelly. Howdy. And Andrew Hermes. Hi, Andrew. Hello, hello. Just to kind of place things here, three of us lived to the 80s. We were teens. Probably somewhere in the 80s. Uh, and, and one of us wasn't. So we're going to get some different perspective. And we'll let you guess who who is and who isn't in that group. But, well, uh, just count me in. I'm a, I was a high school senior when this movie came out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, me too. So, uh, but we'll, we'll get to it. Before we do that, I want to remind, remind folks to like the Secrets of Movies and TV Shows on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Media. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and uh, leave comments there. We love to hear from you and leave, hear your feedback, and we love to get your comments and feedback on social media. All right, so let's talk about this John Hughes movie. So John Hughes, the the screenwriter, director, made a bunch of uh, big movies in the 80s, uh, and then kind of petered out a bit as time went on. But uh, like, let me just name the big ones. So the 1984, 16 Candles. 1985, The Breakfast Club, which is what this one was. Also 1985, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink in 1986. Ferris Bueller's Day Off was in 1986. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, 1987. Uh, things began to peter off a bit. Uh, a couple, they had a couple of movies that weren't so big. Uh, she's Having a Baby. I don't even remember that one. That's um, I saw it. It was okay. <laughs> yes. I loved that one. <laughs> okay, I, I never saw it. Uh, was, it was that Ali Sheedy, too? I don't remember. Uh, well, Uncle Buck. Elizabeth McGovern. McGovern, yeah. Oh, oh right, right, right. Uh, Uncle Buck, John Candy. Uh, Uncle Sarah. Buck. Awesome. <laughs> Uncle Buck, so good. That's uh, one of my favorites. Love Christmas Vacation, 1989. Yep. Home Alone, 1990. And then that was about it. I mean, he had others that he did after that, you know, 101 Dalmatians and Beethoven, I think, didn't he? Uh, I don't remember. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think he did Beethoven. Yes, he did a few others. Um, I'm looking at the ones that Roger Ebert reviewed, and uh, that was not among them. <laughs> <laughs> he did it. He did it under a nom de plume. Okay. Oh, okay. That was interesting. So, but but that heart of the, oh, he also did Mr. Mom before that, by the way, which is I was a little surprised by. But he wrote the screenplay for Mr. Mom, a great movie, which is a great movie. But yes. that that heart of that is 16 Candles to say Ferris Bueller. The those what a, movies. What a run. It, Within, I know. Within two years, he had five great te American teen movies. And he uh, was on a roll. He was. And he churned them out like two a year, nonstop. Exactly. Exactly. Like he wrote and directed several of them in the same year. I'm not sure right. that's even possible these days with movie, the movies, <laughs> the way they make them. But Roger Ebert said, you kind of pointed out why this movie worked, why John Hughes's teen movies worked in general. He created teens who seemed plausible to teenagers. Mm. And that's, that's something that I remember was watching this movie 
and now that you're know, watching it again, it was from a perspective of a 50 something year old is very different. But watching it then, it was very, it was like seeing an an eye into the world I lived in. You Mm -hmm. know, not exactly. I mean, it's Hollywood eyes, but they seemed plausible. They seemed like people I knew and with problems that I was familiar with. Uh, How about you guys? For those of you who say, those of you who lived through the 80s, (laughs) you know, but also, Andrew, from your perspective as someone who's younger, like, do these seem like plausible archetypes of teens? from your memory or from what you know today? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would say when I rewatched it uh, as well, because I hadn't watched it in a long time and I I wanted to make sure that I, I caught some of the, maybe some of the nuances that I maybe have missed over the uh, left my brain over the years. Um, But I I will say, I thought the characters struck real, struck very real. Um, You know, I, I felt like I, I mean, well, maybe the Ali Sheedy character didn't strike me quite as real, but I mean, there were people like her, but not quite that dramatically bastardy, I guess, of Casey, if that's the word. Um, and and she, she was she. I liked her in this, um, but that character did was the well, probably the one that struck the least real for me. I knew Bender. I knew the nerd. I knew the jock. I knew those guys. Uh, I knew the princess. I mean, you knew them. They were there. They were. I mean, I, I you know, I could give you names, but I won't. Father, to, Father to Chip, protect the innocent. Father Chip, where were you in that list? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, the guy that fits in with all those people. That we all think that, right? We all thought we were that guy. <laughs> I was. I was the brain. Nerd. I was that guy. I was the nerd. Yeah, but. Uh, how well, maybe you? I was the nerd then. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Shelley? How does how does this strike you from your perspective from when you were a teen, but also today? Oh, it's it brought back a lot of memories. <laughs> uh, do you remember, like you, Dom, that when I watched it, when I watched Sixteen Handles, when I watched this, aside from some of the Hollywoodized parts of the plot or, or some of the language, I wasn't in a group that used that kind of language and a lot of the sexual references either. But I knew all those people. And I I don't even have to tell you, I was watching this last night with my husband. And um, and there's a scene where Brian says, actually, there's additional exits on the backs and the sides. And my husband looked, he says, you know, that's you, right? (laughs) (laughs) And yes, so I really do identify with with Brian. And and as to Father Chip, what you were saying about Ali Sheedy's character, Allison, I did know girls that were a little bit like that. And I identified with her from the standpoint of I'm invisible mm-hmm. and nobody sees me. Right. Yeah, I think that that is, you know, the important part of what she's there to 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 show. Right. I mean, that's what that's her character's point in the movie. And uh, but I, and I, I agree with you, Shelley. I, I did know people like that but not so hollywood like that you know it was she was a little over the top like she just he, he came turned out with, it up a little yeah, bit yeah to like make she a was, point she was turned up to 11 yeah i think everybody <laughs> all the characters were like john nelson especially yeah, they were yeah. they were john turned nelson, up to yeah. 11 on all of their 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 personalities to emphasize them but not to a point that made them unrealistic but just no. a little more than normal andrew what's your perspective on on the characters yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I'm. I mean, 
to age myself. I graduated high school in 2005. Um, sorry for making you guys <laughs> made me feel <laughs> your age a little bit, but, um, but I mean, this is a movie that, uh, I've watched many times and, um, like, sure. My high school experience was a lot different. I mean, I think like, yeah, you had like, we had our own stereotypes. Like we had our own, you know, we had the jocks, we had the nerds and all that. They were just a little, a little different, um, to put it plainly. Um, but I think the thing I related to the most is, is how, uh, you know, is one of the, the themes of the, the film, which the film has many, um, is just, you know, friendship and how, and how do friendships form? How do, how do relationships form? And, and that's something that I really related to a lot because, you know, throughout high school and, and I would say even throughout college, um, you find yourself, I mean, at least in my own experience, you know, being friends with people from all sorts of different groups. Um, and like, sure, you, you probably, you know, I, you cling on to your, your, your inner circle, you know, for the most part, but, um, but there, like there, there are, there are unique ways that you connect with people that you like, maybe you look back or, or maybe, or maybe from at the, from the onset, you think like, Oh, I'd never be friends with, you know, someone like this, but, um, you know, things like spending, <laughs> and like, I, we didn't really have the tension when I went to high school, but, um, like experiencing, you know, being stuck in a room basically with, with any type of person for any, you know, for a, a prolonged amount of time where it forces you to, you know, to, to have to talk or do something that, you know, naturally, uh, you know, uh, bonds can form. And, and yeah, I, I, I knew some version of each of this character and, and, you know, grow, as I grew up, but, um, but yeah, it's it's a movie that I go back to a lot and, and is is probably the best, I would say the best eighties movie, you know, overall. Um, if I had to make a list. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because when I read I read a, a bunch of the reviews from that era and they were not as kind to it. Uh in, no. and in right. fact uh, they most of them a variety hated it, but most of them kind of thought it was, you know, it was okay, but not as good as uh Sixteen Candles, which was the year you know, came out the year before, which I think is an interesting comparison. One of the things that you said about like them being you know stuck in a room, it's almost like a road movie that doesn't go anywhere. It's where you put they're put in a stressful situation that brings out aspects of their personality and brings them together. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so interesting. Or I, I think uh, someone else pointed out it's like a oh I think it was I think it was the Ebert review that that, that uh, mentions it's it's a lot like a, a Eugene O'Neill play. You know that it's just it, it's like a stage play almost. Because of the limited, I mean, it's filmed in in mostly one room, but also just one building, uh, a high school, you know, and that that small world. But it's a universe, <laughs> you know, when you're a teenager, that's your universe. Well, it's funny you said road trip, Don. I didn't catch the road trip aspect, but I was, as I was watching it, I kept thinking this is this seems familiar. And when I finally put my finger on it, um, it was it was a retreat. Right. It is like a retreat. They've it, it's twisted. It's not necessarily spiritual, but the elements are all in there and the scent is in there. And I mean, outline, check, check, check. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, again, it's funny because I was when I was friends in high school with 
with jocks and and with uh you know uh, the weirdos the guys who would be self-professed weirdos but that was through cyo the or the you know the youth group we called it cyo at the time but uh you it would have been the youth group of my parish and you know and on retreats and ski trips and that st- sort of stuff and it was that that those experiences that brought us together across the boundaries, which we wouldn't have necessarily been friends if we were just knew each other through classes and school. It was those outside experiences that brought us together that really formed those bonds. Yeah, it's it's very it's 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 kind of um, set up as like a war movie. You know, yeah. it's it's <laughs> it, you know, they're like down in the trenches together. And you got the guy and from Brooklyn and the guy from exactly. the from the farm yeah. in Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's very much set up that way. And 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 you know, Bender is like the the guy who makes the sacrifice, you know, play and uh, you know, for the team, you know. Right. Uh, right. And and uh, I, I think that's what I think that's obviously what John Hughes was going for. You know, he kind of took that concept and you know, it also reminded reminds me of like it's funny you mentioned like youth groups like like going on retreats um, and, you know, meeting a lot of new people like growing up in my youth group, going on like certain retreats where we would have people that were non-church goers, you know, trying to reconnect with their faith. So, so it'd be a lot of people that I wasn't close with or, or really even knew. And then you spend a weekend together and then you come out, you know, lifelong friends. Yep. Trading emails. and and, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, again, it's, it's that going back to like, you put a bunch of people in, in, in a room in a setting like that and uh, where they're kind of forced to, you know, to interact with their own devices and and interesting things come out of it. It's interesting that, you know, thinking about that because it's very much a product of his time. If this were set in 2020, it would be very different with the world of social media, with, with emails and they'd have their phones on them and there would be all these different, ways that they would interact it would be very different uh ben uh, bender wouldn't be able to destroy the card catalog which horrified me as a former library uh employee uh but you know it's it's it would it would be a very different kind of movie because of the different world we live in today and i thought that was very interesting couldn't make that movie today because those people that 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 way of life is gone i mean it's just gone and and now people are people are different i don't even know on, as I was watching it, I was I I remember thinking to myself, do they even have these kinds of stereotypes anymore? I mean, are these stereotypes even like real anymore? Um, you know, I mean, because I, I my interaction with kids since you know I was an adult has been through being a priest, and I don't see the, those kids. I see jocks, obviously, and I see, but they don't. They all mix together. They, they, they don't have, it doesn't feel like they have these clicks anymore. I'm sure they're there, but, but it's, it, it feels like there's boundaries that are, that are gone that used to be up when we were kids. Different kinds of boundaries, maybe. Yeah. Different kinds of. Yeah. I mean, different like social boundaries and different things like that. Cause I, I, I honestly, first, first things first, my, my high school didn't have a, a Saturday detention. Um, we had detention. It was after school. You spent an hour in the classroom and that yeah. was it. Or you were suspended. Um, yeah. Yeah. You could get <laughs> yeah. suspended for sure. They even had in school suspension. Yeah. That was the oh, stupidest the thing I ever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're there in school and you, and you, you you're can't the go office. to your classes. Yeah. yeah. It's like, come on, man. 
I'm smiling that both say. of you know this. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I will deny all <laughs> knowledge of. <laughs> yes, me too. But I will say, uh, I just, I, I loved this. I loved this movie when I was a kid. I love it now. I even rewatching it. And I, and then the other thing I loved was he made this movie for a million dollars. Yes. Yes. A million dollars. He wrote it in two days. Right. Who does that? The guy's He's a, he, a he genius. Was a genius. Yeah. yeah. He, he really was. Yeah. yeah. It, it, his later work notwithstanding, I mean, this this period of, of movie making was probably some of the most prolific movie making uh, of our time. People still quote Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, yeah. That movie mm-hmm. came out in 1986. Save Ferris. Yeah, it's, a, it's on T-shirts still. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've gone from being Ferris to being Art Rooney, but that's. <laughs> I think we all have, Tom, yeah, yeah. except me, except maybe Andrew. I have a nine-year-old who has just spent the entire Christmas break watching Home Alone and can quote the entire movie. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Home Alone. I watched it with my kids. You know, I want to mention that the movie starts with on screen this David Bowie quote from the this song changes it's not it's not a subtle this is what this movie is about you know this so this is what John Hughes says this movie's about it's uh, the quote is and these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to their consultations they're quite aware of of that of what they're going through so Hughes's thesis here is is to is to look from the perspective of teens and we see this several times throughout they they feel like the adults in their lives don't understand them, you know, as as a parent of teens. Now, it's kind of funny, uh, but because uh, I understand a whole lot more than you think I do. Uh, but the adults <laughs> in, the, in these teens lives don't understand them and that they are afraid of the future. You know, what what is am I am I destined to become these adults? You know, because all of these kids, their parents aren't all that nice to them. You know, whether it's that's true. Andy's dad, who's the. The, the the jock dad who yeah. you know uh, and then uh the um i, I got to remember the names cuz i only remember the actors uh claire's parents who are using her as a tool in their eventual divorce and brian's parents who only care about his grades and poor allison whose parents just don't even acknowledge her existence and uh bender whose dad is an abusive jerk you know so uh, there none of them are or, and then the the principal who just is obviously a jerk <laughs> and it's like they they have no adults in their lives is from the perspective of the movie that they can connect with who they understand well the principal i want to make one comment because i thought it was hysterical when i when he said it he says i make thirty thousand dollars a year <laughs> i'm like <laughs> $30,000. And he's acting like that's a lot of money. Yeah. You know? Well, in 1985, maybe $30,000 was a pretty good living. I don't know. I make $30,000 a year. Um, but I thought his character, you know, his character was probably the least fleshed out, right? I mean, it, on purpose. I don't think John Hughes liked adult characters in these movies. I, I think he purposely tried to make the adults look uh, clueless and the children look smart. Um, and I think that's an important thing to remember about, about his style and about his, and just, the, just the way he was, the children were always smart. I mean, home alone, he, he the kid, the kid's a 
you know, criminal mastermind for crying out loud. <laughs> right. um, all the parents so, at home alone are bad. All the adults at oh, home alone are awful are, parents, except for the um, except for the old man in the, right. that, in the church. But everyone the, else yeah. is pretty much a bad person, right? <laughs> exactly. Bad at what they do. Yeah, and uh, and Uncle Buck is Uncle Buck was like probably the first time he made an adult that you really liked, and who, but he was just like a kid. He was an overgrown right. kid. That's why he was a good person. <laughs> That's right. And and even even his his girlfriend in that movie, which you know, <laughs> you know, it's funny how all these fat guys have these great looking girlfriends in these in television movies. But anyway, so he has this great looking girlfriend that he somehow or another can't commit to. You know, it's it's it's. It, Right. It's a fantasy it, world. It's a kid's it fantasy world. It is. Right. All of the movies are kind of like that. They're kind of kids' fantasy worlds. But Uncle Buck is about Uncle Buck. It's about an adult growing up and moving on to another stage of life. Whereas here, he's focused on these teenagers. And I remember, I don't remember being shocked or overly wowed by Bender. No, uh, Vernon. Sorry, the Vern. assistant principal yeah. is Vernon. But as I'm rewatching this, he's a bully. Oh, he yeah. is just as abusive yeah. to these kids. And I'm sitting and thinking I was not the girl who got in trouble in high school. So I don't know. I'd never went to the assistant principal's office, but they didn't talk to kids in the 80s like that. I hope they didn't throw things around or shove them or or say such hateful things to their faces. Now, maybe it's just because I've been raising teens now and then in the high schools now and everything is very now we're going to do this in a very special way but it was particularly harsh for me now what 30 something years removed from that time period to look back and say i know it's just a movie and they are uh over hyping or over amplifying it to make the point go home and make you identify with it but was it really like that and I was talking with my sister today and she said, yeah, it was. And and yeah. we just really struggled with it a little bit. There was if you were a kid like Bender. Yes. Yes. That we, I, I mean, I, I don't want to call it guys 30 years later, but there were there were there were guys, teachers or administrators in my high school who would have been I, I, I never experienced it. But I knew that they were like this toward the guys who were the regular screw ups. So, right. you know, not not to threatening to to beat him to a pulp, but but mean to them because mm. I know you're a loser and you're always going to be a loser and you're a pain. To Verbally me. abusive. Yeah. Yeah. Emotionally abusive, which came mm -hmm. out in this. I mean, you could see in Bender's face when it was just him and Vernon alone in that that supply closet, how scared he was that he he in that moment, he had gone from being this semi adult to a kid. You look, mm. I mean, great acting by Judd Nelson in that. In yeah, that scene. yeah, yeah. In all my previous scenes of this movie, I don't remember really connecting with uh, Judd Nelson's character, Bender, in here. But rewatching it, I was drawn to exactly that. Mm -hmm. How he would go from tough guy putting up a front to scared, abused teenager who has no future and knows it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just what I think is a central theme of the the movie is it's and, and why I think all the, you know, all the adults and, and everyone that works at the school is perceived as a as a bully or or, you know, a jerk um, is is like it's it's how education is 
you know, can sometimes oppress the soul. And when it's really meant to form it, it's a very, it's, it's mm. not to get too philosophical, but it's a very Nietzsche, you know, sort of thing where, you know, where like where he, where he argues and, and, you know, one of the few things we can agree with Nietzsche on is that education is supposed to form, education is supposed to form the soul. And, and a lot of times, you know, schools, again, maybe back then, maybe not so much more now. I mean, they pro- I mean, I'm, the education system <laughs> oppresses the soul in different ways now, I guess. But, uh, but like how the movie portrays it is that, you know, these, these figures who are supposed to be, you know, if not idols, at least role models to these children, if not father figures and mother figures. But, you know, a lot of times they tend to be, especially to people like Bender, they're, they're, they, they oppress them and, and pin them down even more. And they, they obviously, they, they are, they, even though they play the stereotypes, again, like the, the, the Brian's letter at the end of the movie, you know, where he met, he says, we're not like what you just see on the surface. You know, we're not just the jock and the, the nerd and, you know, the pretty girl and so on. So, yeah, I think, uh, uh, that's a big reason why, again, I think John Hughes chose to portray all the adults as jerks and, and showing how these teenagers are trying to make it in a world that's so harsh around them, you know, and it's already difficult enough at that age with everything going on with them physically and, and, and mentally um, that the the adults around them don't make it any easier. You know, that's a, it's an interesting point, that letter. I wanted to mention that because it's, they read it at the beginning and at the end, and it's it's this essay that they were told to write on who do you think you are, which, you know, it, the, with Werner thinks of it as, you know, pr- you know, he probably read it in some, you know, teaching discipline manual or somewhere like, oh, what a great idea. I'm going to do this. Uh, but they take it. And, and it's interesting because the let this is what it says. You know, who do you who do you think we are? What do you care? You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms and the most convenient definitions. And then, uh, you know, and they describe themselves in. Uh, that's how we saw ourselves this morning. You know, a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, a criminal. That's how we saw ourselves this morning. We were brainwashed. And the, the, I think the idea is these these aren't definitions they come up with for themselves. It's definitions that are in some ways imposed by the adults around them They that pigeonhole the kids. Oh, you're going to be a brain. You know, you're the smart. You're a smart kid. I want you to get A's. Oh, you're good athlete, physically. You're going to be an athlete or I was an athlete and you're going to be an athlete or you you come from wealth. Therefore, you're going to be among the, you know, the the rich kids or the princess of the school, et cetera, et cetera. And and I think that's the idea. And and, and there's there's some validity to that, that somehow sometimes, as, as you said, Andrew, we oppress the soul or in, education becomes indoctrination. And we sort of warehouse these kids in these schools rather than help them to you know discover who they are from inside instead we impose models on them from outside and i think that's an interesting exploration that this movie does in the midst of you know pot jokes and making sex cracks and that sort of thing dom did you notice that they do begin with it and end with it but it's different yes it is slightly different at the the, uh, end right at the very end he says what we found out is that each of us is a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. So what they came to discover was that they were more alike than they were the definition of that stereotype. Right, right. So, And as you were talking, I was had in my mind that even these stereotypes are used in Disney movies today with a high school musical. It's, you know, the jocks and the theaters and the nerds and the... 
So these stereotypes do exist. They might evolve and, and change and, and have a flow, an ebb and flow to them. But that's one of the things I liked about the movie was how they came together as individuals in their own social group stereotype. And by the end, they had discovered they had more in common as human beings than they did as being defined by how they presented in school or by their parents. And their concern for what others think. That's a that's a huge element. And it is their their concern or Bender's Bender pretends to not be concerned what other people think of him, but is ultimately just as concerned. He's ultimately creating him as much of a mask as the others. Uh, although, you know, he, he is a he is a really great antagonist because he doesn't he's a, he's an agent of chaos in there that really stirs things up without if Bender hadn't been in detention with them, they would have come. They would have sat. They would have left eight hours later and nothing would have changed. But Bender is an agent of chaos who himself gets changed. But but he's he's the reason so much gets stirred up and changed. And it's very interesting that this bad kid is the one that really pulls them all out of themselves and, and look, gets them to look inside a bit. So it's very interesting there. Well, don't you think he know he knew something of that? Like he could see that. I agree with you. He's an agent of chaos because he he could kind of see each one of them as what they were, so to speak. And I, I put that in air quotes. Um, and that, and, and that he would poke them, each one of them with something, uh, you know, and he would just keep on poking. Um, and he especially poked at Claire, uh, you know, he really, he was really going after her and he was, you know, I, you could argue he was really being mean to her. Um, and I think he was, uh, but I think he was, he was coming from just, he's coming from such a place of hurt and, uh, and, and misunderstanding and 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 i think it was it shelly that you, you said he's got the sort of like he's got a mask he's got his mask on and and they all do really but he his mask is is so much more visible like you can as an adult you can see it you know you see yes. it uh the other kids you could see those kids in in a high school hall and and you would think oh they're well adjusted and normal <laughs> and but underneath they're not right. You know, underneath there, there, they have all the pain and the angst and the, and the, you know, whatever of being a high school student. And, I, you know, I think things that, I think things have changed a little bit since then. Um, you know, with the, with the, with the educational system, I, I think it's worse now. Um, in some you know, ways, far, in some yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think, you know, my high school principal was a former Marine. Uh, he didn't take any uh, guff from anybody. And uh, I saw him dress down kids in the hallway, you know, like in front of us, which would probably never happen today. But, you know, but he he didn't take any nonsense and everybody knew it. And so, you you know, there was a lot of, you know, being good because <laughs> Mr. Torlando was going to get you if you didn't, you know, and uh, that was the thing. That's a key great guy. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, there's a key difference. The parents we do see, none of them say you shouldn't be here. Like, they, you don't deserve to get your punishment. You know, you, you know, they're all they're all kind of disappointed that you did something or got caught like uh, right. Andy's dad. But but today, I think 
you might see more often, at least I've heard, I, my kids are homeschooled, so I, I don't have to experience this, but you might see parents going in and saying, my child is innocent or my child doesn't deserve to be punished. Right. Uh, there is, happens there is, all the time. Yeah, it, there's a, a, a little bit of a difference there. There is more awareness of bullying. Yes. I mean, there's certain, there are, there are plenty of moments in this movie where I cringed. I cringed at mm. language. I cringed at some of the stuff they talk about, the sexual things, the the drug use, which is, you know, it's, that was not all. There was plenty of this that wasn't realistic, which is like them getting away with smoking pot in the library as if <laughs> Vernon would never smell it. I mean, come on. But uh, yeah, that, that was funny. But but there were there, there were things in this where I kind of cringed at, at like, oh, like this, this would and realizing, wow, things have changed <laughs> like the, the stuff that was acceptable then. I, I kind of want to talk about how the, the movement of this, of the plot or of the, of the situation of the characters from the beginning to the end. And, you know, so the beginning is all trepidation as they arrive. They don't know what they're going to experience except for Bender. He, cause he's obviously done this plenty of times. Uh, <laughs> there's this mo- moment uh, of an antagonism as they're asserting their space. Bender's power is, you know, and between him and Andy as the alphas of the, and then poor Brian, you know, kind of tries to be the peacemaker and gets gets pushed <laughs> off. Um, but around like lunchtime, you know, the, you start to see these cracks in the in the walls between them, like the the whistling thing, you know, the the uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the the, the POW bridge, movie, movie whistling bridge over the river Kwai, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting. A, a, a reference there that you know, pris- you know prisoners of war there's some unity in that mm-hmm. uh, you have then you have lunch which really shows the differences between them all right bender couldn't be bothered to bring a lunch claire has sushi which in 1985 was as exotic as you could possibly be <laughs> i'd never heard of it in 1985 <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I i never heard of it Never had it. Didn't want it. <laughs> in in <laughs> Illinois, never, no, no, no less. I mean, California, maybe they'd be doing like having sushi in 1985, but not in Illinois. Then well, she uh, was rich. Yeah, exactly. Showing her that difference. Then you have uh, Andy's like <laughs> lunch that could feed <laughs> a battalion. Keep up the energy. He's going to bulk uh, up. Uh, and then uh, Brian's got, you know, soup and a PB&J and apple <laughs> juice, you know. I mean, it's just and then I, I have to love Allison's like, so she throws the uh, the olive loaf onto the statue yeah. and then pours sh- sugar packets the, the, onto the bread and then Captain Crunch. <laughs> pixie the, sticks. Pixie that's she what sticks. Yeah, sticks. Yeah, that's right. Oh, the I'm lunch so is so gross. Yeah, that was so gross. And she really ate it, too. I know. <laughs> but, I know. Uh, but the key turning point is when they sneak out. It, you know, and then they try to avoid, you know, Werner, the, you know, the, the principal, but they sneak out to go to Bender's locker. They don't all know why they're going. They're just like, oh, we're just going. And then it's when Bender sacrifices himself to save the others. That's the key turning point mm. that when when everything shifts, I mean, there's still antagonism after that. But things it's that it's that moment of when they see that they're in it together, when they're willing to to. To, you know what they're willing to do for each other against a common foe and that's the i think that's the big thing here the other one was that they they then cover for bender as he's sneaking yeah that's right uh, sneaking around and uh and then they have that this 
small group mo- moment to me it, like Shelly, you you said it it was like retreat except we, we didn't smoke yep. pot on our retreats but it was like <laughs> it was like retreat where you have this small group and you sit around and you're talking about stuff you know the and and where you really kind of start to reveal yourself and and you really get these inf- this interesting r- revelations about them they start to reveal why they're there how they ended up there i mean claire we find out right off the bat she's there because she skipped school to go shopping <laughs> and that's and that's pretty much it we never find out what Bender did, but obviously he he must have done something. But we find out like what Andy, what Andy did, you know, and and how remorseful he is, and why. And he says, you know, he tortured this other kid because it was expected of him, right? And how bad mm-hmm. he felt for that other kid, and how he how humiliated he must have been to go home to his dad after having been humiliated, and 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 it was that is I think the the emotional center of the movie for me is that is that moment that empathy and i think it bonded him also a little bit to brian because brian knew the boy yes and so andy wasn't just showing remorse to strangers he was showing true remorse to someone who he had to look and see you know this boy this is your friend too and and i don't know if he was feeling remorse before he came but it was a very growing up development kind of moment for him Oh, and Bender was there because he pulled the fire alarm. Oh, right, 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 right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I knew he did something. <laughs> Allison's role is 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 peacemaker in this in this part of the movie. Every time things get tense or angry, she she redirects and deflects into another, you know, something else. So when Bender get gets really mean with Claire at this point, you know, when they're revealing her talent, uh, you know, it's she she redirects and deflects, and it's a very interesting role that she plays. And Andy recognizes her, recognizes what she's doing, I think. And it becomes clear. That's where the, I think their connection is made. I found it interesting, too, that she was the only one that didn't smoke the marijuana. No, she was weird already, so she didn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she was weird because she didn't have any attention. So she was act, she acted out in her ways to see if anyone noticed. And in fact, Bender, the first thing he says when he walks in is, I see you around, you know, and she looks at him. But when they all go off to to smoke, you know, there goes Claire, there goes Brian, like, oh, oh I'll never have another chance to try this again. <laughs> yeah. And then here he, here's Andy. I've got to meet. I can't do this. I've got to meet on Saturday. And then it's like, next thing you know, he's back there. But she's the only one that just sits there like, I don't need to. This is stupid. Right. Right. Yeah, she's she's the only one, you know, that that doesn't have a click, you know. She's the the outsider. Click of one. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, out of all the characters, all the stereotypical characters in this movie, she's the one that stay has been constant throughout time. I mean, those people still exist now. And uh it's it's like the people that have like, you know, turned their back on the world and and are are confined to their own whatever their belief system is and and you know they that's why she's able to like call out everyone on their on their bs and and able to connect with them on in a different way to where you know she's real with them and and she uh because she's she can observe from the outside and because she's not she's not really concerned about you know fitting in so she, she she's able to have you know this sort of perspective so yeah, her her character it, it, to me is the most i guess the most interesting one and 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 the one that um you know i think carries uh that theme that theme of uh you know like how like i mentioned it's it's 
where whether it's the education system or like parents or you know the adults and and these kids lives you know oppressing them where where she's the one that even though obviously she has her own own issues she's the one that can at least see everything you know clearly you know uh, not in a hippie sort of sense but in like a like i i know how it really is in this world man like i I, i'm the one that gets it you don't get it you're 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 you know, you, you pay attention to like, I guess a modern day sort of thing is like someone who's just not on social media, but someone who reads books and, and, <laughs> you know, is into philosophy and stuff. And, we don't and like those really guys. knows what's going on. Yeah, no, exactly. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> you know, I think she voices that, that, that central theme, that, that moment, that what, what the, what Hughes is getting across here, which is, you know, I think it's Andy who asks, yeah, are we going to be just like our parents? And she's the one who says it's unavoidable. When we grow up, our heart dies. And it's a, it's such a sad thing to realize that that they see that the the parent the adults in their lives, their parents, that their hearts have died, that they've they've grown up and they've been worn down and they're not they're, the love is is not there. I mean, they I'm sure their parents love them, but they're worn down by the cares, by whatever in life. And the and the teens don't they look forward. This is what I get to look forward to for the rest of my life is is to be that sort of blah person. Okay, but think of that today. I mean, Dom, when you were growing up, is that how you felt about your parents? Uh, 1985, uh, my parents were getting divorced. So, <laughs> uh, I didn't think of my parents as being uh, dead inside. Uh, I just didn't understand my parents. I think my, right. that might've been it. I mean, I love my parents and I, I, f- I felt like they loved me, but I didn't understand them or what they were doing or why they did what they did. Right. And, and father chip, what about you? No, I feel the same way. I feel I didn't feel like my parents were dead inside or anything, but I I didn't understand and I and I sometimes I still don't understand some of the drive that was there. Uh like the uh one of my parents was really driven. I don't want to oh either one of them was really driven that we you know, I was going to go to college, my brothers were going to go to college, we were all going to college and that's that was going to be your thing. You're going to college and you're going to get a good job and you're going to have a good life. That was pushed down my throat so much. And I went to college. I ended up, you know, of course I did because I had to really. I mean, there was no, I, I had thought about, I had mentioned to my parents something about taking a year off and they were like, no, you're not taking a year off. People are taking a year off. Never go back. And uh, I'm like, okay. All right. So I went, but you know, there was things about growing up that I never quite understood. And, 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 and I guess I understand them better now. I mean, I think my parent, my parents were trying to set me up for success, right? What they thought, uh, you know, as uh, baby boomers, that what success was, and they, that's what they were trying to do. And everything they did was, was, was based on that, you know, like setting us up for success. And, you know, I, I get it. I, I, I get the, the desire and the drive and, and the, 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 the thought process. But I think some of that really hurts kids. You know, in the long run, it can hurt kids if they don't somehow get out of that sort of spiral of I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. You know, there's, life isn't about putting A and B and C and D together. It just isn't. You know, life is a lot messier than that. Andrew, how about you? Yeah, for me, yeah, I... I... A little similar to what Father Chip was saying is like, yeah, my parents, yeah, I, n- I never, you know, thought of them as dead inside, but yeah, they 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 wanted what was best for me, and and again, they thought it was like, oh, we got to get a, go to college, get a good education, you know, and me me in high school, it's like the typical like, 
oh, my parents don't get it. Like they're not cool. You know, they're (laughs) like, I'm, and when I'm their age, I'm not going to be like them, you know, like I'm going to do things differently. Right. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm especially being a, you know, a first generation American born in my family. It's like, oh, well, you know, they're not, they weren't born in this country. So they, they're stuck in their old ways, you know, a little bit. So, you know, it's that sort of uh, typical mindset. Um, And, and yeah, I can see now, now being older and, you know, having a, having a child of my own, I can see like, oh, wow. Like, obviously you, you have, I have moments of like, well, my parents, my parents did, did this right. And then I can also look back. It's also like, yeah, you know, there are t- t- times where, like Father Chip was saying, it it can be hard uh, on on kids if you're, you know, if if you're whatever pushing one sort of thing on them too much, you know, whether it's, I mean, my mm. daughters too. We're not talking about college yet, but you know, <laughs> I, you know, stuff that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're taking it one step at a time. But I think the the thing that I relate to the movie the most um, is is like not necessarily looking at my parents in, in that sort of negative way. I, I never really did. Uh, but I never really got, you know, too far past like, Oh, my parents aren't cool. But, it, but it's, it's that sense of like, when you're, when I was in high school, it's like, you always felt like you had to be a part of one of these social groups, you know, in school, like you have to be like with the cool kids or you were trying to be with this, these, that group or that group. And then if that group was like, not cool anymore. You have to move to a different one. And then, or you're, and you have to be at war with other, you know, social circles and stuff like that. It's a constant. And then, you know, when you, as we know now, when you, when you get into adulthood, you, you're not really, that's not really a thing anymore. You're not, you're not at war with. It seems so you know, important when you're in high school, right? doesn't it? Exactly. It was your life. It's all, you lost, <laughs> right. lost sleep over it. You, See, it was yeah, your it's, life. It's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it affected your schoolwork, um, <laughs> uh, your focus at school and stuff. It was like being in the mafia. <laughs> yeah. yes it was like being in the mafia it's a very good yeah. you know you were you 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 had your clique a group of people and they were your crew and you know you had you probably had a uh, a capo of that crew and you know and it, it, it was just it was like being in the mafia you really you had to be careful about what you said to certain people and you couldn't you know i mean it's crazy it's crazy. Where how did you go to school? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was the Joe Pesci in my career. Where did you go to school? <laughs> well, well, oh man, you, did well, you go to Boston? Might be a cool place. Yeah, Boston's a little different from Texas. Let's just say the you know the baby things are a little different where we where you and I grew up. Father Chip. Well, Shelley, how about you? For for you, how does that? How does this strike you? Uh, this this mindset. Probably the closest parent that I would have identified with there was the Brian's mom, who was actually played by Anthony Michael Hall's real mother. Mm-hmm. And that was his real life sister. But huh. um, when she's like, this is the first and the last time. Yes. He's like, yes. And I don't know. Did she know why he was there? And I'm guessing not because I read they ad libbed all of those scenes around there. But I would think that if they had called and said my son had brought a flare gun to school and it went off in his locker, that there'd have been a conversation a little more in depth than why did you have a flare gun in your school? Yes. I think I felt the pressure of the grades from my parents, but at no time did I think that they put getting grades over how they felt about me or my sister and brother. Um, They were demanding in that they had high expectations and going to college was never even a conversation. It was, you will, because it will set you up to 
be able to choose that path in your life. And we are able to help you go there. But I mean, it wasn't perfect. I'm not trying to say that hindsight now is, is that they were loving, perfect parents. They had their own issues, um, but nothing like what you saw in these characters in this movie. And I didn't know anyone with those parents. I knew friends who had parents that maybe might have touched in a few of those stereotypes. But and watching Andy with his dad, my husband and I are sitting on the couch. We have we have a daughter and a son who are very competitive in sports. One is playing in college right now. And he was so careful when they were when, when the older one was in high school every year. Do you still love playing? Is this still something you want to do? I don't want you to play this sport because I want you to play this sport. And so I'd like to think that maybe we've come that far in these 30 plus years, but maybe that's just our family and how we were raised. I think it's just your family or oh, okay. and, and many families like you. What I mean is I knew like kids whose dads were like Andy's and I, I've still encountered them every once in a while who are, Sports is Every everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is your ticket. You know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get anywhere without it. Uh, this is, you don't screw it up. Um, and there was sometimes that, I mean, I remember, I don't, I don't remember feeling the pressure of if, you know, you've got to get good grades or you're not going to succeed in life. But there was a, like my dad was a blue collar worker and he just wanted to, for all of us to be able to do the best we could in life. You know, that, that was that his generation and it's the so he's the pre-boomer generation of, you know, the, I guess he was too young. He was he was wasn't old enough to go to fight in World War Two. He fought in Korea. So I'm not sure what generation that makes him. His mindset was every generation does better than the one before. That that was a mindset that was his parents mindset. That was his mindset. And that's that's what been a thing. And, you know, I don't know that that's the same anymore. I don't think people expect. You're going, you know, uh, you, you, my kids are going to be better and by better, usually uh, socioeconomically. Better yeah, yeah. Uh, better than we are. I don't think that that's it's the same level of expectation that there was. Uh, I mean, there are still people out there who like you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer. You know, you're going to be something, something, some really high. But there's still kids out there who hear that. Uh, and then I think it's a shame because it's the, their value is placed in what they can, you know, the go to college for and how much they can earn. Uh, one of the things I think is, is, is that the sign is, is kids want to be kids for a while and so much of life. And I, and I see it all, uh, you know, uh, uh, sometimes online, you know, and, and people I know, or people I read about, uh, they spend their kids' childhood worrying about their adulthood instead of letting their kids live their childhood. Uh, and I mean, you got to prepare, of course, but there's also, you can, you can kind of kill the spark in them if, if it's all work and no play. And I think there's a little of that in here, uh, that, that, that message a bit. Well, especially for, uh, you know, and, uh, was it and Andy, he, his, his thing was, it was, it was wrestling and that was it. And, you know, that was so clear in, in, in his character. I think with Brian, it was, you know, okay, yeah, he's got to get good grades, but there was no, I didn't get a sense that he was being, you know, shoved into one profession or another. I think it was just get good grades, go to college and figure out what you're going to do with your life, you know? But I think, I think 
that this is probably in our time now is probably the first time in American history where uh, parents don't expect their kids to be better off than they were. I think this is an unusual time that we're living in. I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I think it's and, and I'm, I'm looking at Andrew now, since you've already shared with us that your parent, you are first generation American born in your family. Um, my family, my my mother was second generation, but first one to go to college. So I'm wondering if if how long you've been in the country or where your family is from still has a play in that, that there's still an expectation that we've come here for a better opportunity and it takes a few generations to rise and build and grow in those mental and, and expectations of, of what you can and will achieve. And um, I think, wasn't it John Adams who said, I'm going to be uh, this and a that, like an attorney and um, uh, this kind of level so that my children can become artists and dreamers and painters um, so that everybody wants to work hard and create a foundation that then they can help their children grow from. And, and that's the American dream. I think it, I think you see it a lot in in immigrant families. I see it among the, the folks I know, whether it's uh, they, their parents were for first generation or if, uh, in fact, I, some of my peers uh, the, who have kids my kid's age. Who their kid, their first generation, they they came here from another place, and their kids are gonna, they're gonna do. Those kids are doing everything. They're they're highly scheduled, and uh, this uh, from the outside, there appears to be a lot of pressure. Uh, I I don't want to judge other people's families because maybe the kids are 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 thriving that way. So it you know it's it's not necessarily just a negative, but I see that that possibility that there is still some people who think. My kids are going to be better off than I am. But uh, there is there. I've seen lots of talk about how this might be the first generation Gen Y or Gen Z or Gen X or you know, not Gen X. But that's us. No, we're uh, Gen millenn- X. Yeah. Millennials or whatever might be the first generation that isn't better off than the generation before them. I don't know how much of that is just talk pundits talking uh, or not. But uh, but from from a, a, a human perspective, an individual perspective, that is a thing that kids experience that kids go through is. You know, what do my parents want of me? What, you know, what, what, what am I worth to them? Am I worth just my grades? Am I worth just the things I can accomplish? You know, there's, there, I've seen as when I've worked in youth ministry, I've seen parents who literally live through the accomplishments of their children. They're living vicariously. I've no, seen, sure. I've oh, had yeah. kids tell me my mom wants me to go out partying on the weekends because that way I'll fit in with, with the other kids. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the sort of thing that's crazy that, that, that some parents want to live vicariously through their, their kids in these ways. And and the kid is like, no, I want to live a, a nice I want to be a good kid. I want to be moral. I don't want to sin. And 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 the, and the parents are the ones that are undermining that. And that that's wow. sad. I think wow. it, it depends. It really does depend on where you are uh, in what town you're in. Like I've lived in a bunch of different towns now as, as a priest living just moving to different parishes different parishes and one of the things i noticed in one of my former places was that there was a lot of that you know uh party hardy kind of stuff it was like eh, yeah it's a there's a kegger in the woods next week and uh, you know and I, i'm like oh great so then all of a sudden there was an abandoned airport nearby and a a, a young teenage girl passed out in 
trying to get home and she passed out in a in like a three inches of water and she drowned i remember that and so all of a sudden it became like there was a microscope put on this community and it wasn't just one community it was kind of more like three communities the microscope was put on them and and it was like well what are you what are we teaching our kids about you know life what are we what are we teaching them that they have to go out and party why do they have to go out and party? Some kids, they have to go out and party because they're trying to dull something inside of them. Other kids just go because eh, everybody else is going, I'll go. And then I'm sure there are other reasons for people going. You know, it really did give the the, the, the communities an opportunity to pause and, and self-reflect on what exactly were we doing and what where were we pushing kids? And I was sort of right stuck in the middle of it. And I remember we had a candlelight, you know, uh, mass we had a mass and we had a vigil and we had all this stuff and i i like to think things changed a little bit but i i'm pretty sure that uh things kind of after a few months kind of went back to almost normal that's just kind of the way things go i think you know you, you tragedies happen people promise to change things don't change and then we go forward and go on and i think each individual community is kind of different that way I think individuals change. I think these sorts of events can change people, but I don't think it changes oh, yeah. necessarily Definitely. society, you know, the culture of the town or larger. Right. You know, I, I want to kind of bring things to a wrap up with the, the movie and talk a little bit about how it ends, uh, where um, I have to point out when you mentioned the flare gun, that is another area where this is movie is very much different from our, our day. A oh, kid yeah. bringing <laughs> a flare gun to school would not. Out. Oh, man. Yeah. The police would be there, it would be in the news. It would have been, I mean, obviously, given all the things that have happened between 1985 and today, uh, that, that would be. He'd be clear. gone. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he wouldn't be in that school anymore. Yeah. But as it ends, you know, what do we have? We have Brian, new, a new confidence, a new sense of himself, Claire and Bender, <laughs> the odd couple, uh, and then Allison and Andy, you know, that which there was that spark there. Andy saw you had a spark for Allison right from the beginning, didn't he? Mm. Even before she had yes. the the uh, the make the the montage makeover. Uh, <laughs> that's de rigueur for such movies. Uh, but uh, it, and they go their separate ways. And it, I think it's a little still a little unresolved. This idea of on Monday at school, are they going to be friends or are they going to go back to the old ways? And Maybe they will. Maybe not. What do you think? Okay. We didn't talk about Claire ending up with Bender. Right. And that's kind of a really big part of this movie. Um, okay. Especially considering the the bullying that occurred, the um, sexual harassment that kind of occurred when he was under the table. And in it to me, that was the most off part of the film. Of all of his films, that was the most, how did that happen? Right. That she went and, and I could see her being, you know, Bad attracted as too strong of a word. Right. The, the, that interest in the bad boy. But after everything that they had been through that morning and even the sharing and when he was still, you know, making fun of her, it felt like the biggest jar. It just, it didn't work. And everybody's going to argue with me but as, as the woman on this panel here i don't like it yeah and i didn't like it then 
And I don't like it even more now as I watch it as a, a mom of college age kid girls. And so the idea that she crawled in there and she initiated the action with him, she kissed him. And then I remember there was all, well, what did they do in the closet? What did they do? We don't know. Um, but then she, I, I get the, the, her giving her the earring as if to say, you are worth something. You, you have value, but I don't really understand the tension and the attraction after what's happened. Yeah, it, it may be the least believable resolution. I mean, the idea that the, the princess of the school would end up with this jerk. I, I think he was trying to, I think he was trying to make a point, but hadn't built the, the enough of a foundation for it. As you say, he, he, even very late in the movie, he was still being a jerk to her. If there was more time to see that, that shift, I could see that. I could see your point on that. I think part of it is is maybe, you know, John Hughes was just playing off the stereotype in, in films where the odd couple end up together. So I think maybe that's part of it. And like you said, maybe it wasn't, it's was probably not the best fleshed out storyline in the film. Um, but yeah, but I think, you know, even at, like at the end of the movie, when, when, when he's like really, you know, railing into her, he does, he, he has that line where he says, well, what do you even care? I, I, I I might not even exist, you know, in the school, so something along those lines. I think there is like, it's, uh, she's attracted to that, that vulnerability that he, that he shows and, you know, and, and whether it's maybe started, he, she started liking him out of pity a little bit, you know, for better or worse, uh, you know, I think that might've been part of it, but yeah, it's, it's not, like you said, it's not the most believable, you know, <laughs> part, but that, that point that you, you, like you said about the ending where it's, it's like, oh, well, it's not resolved and they're going to go back to school. Are they going to, are they all going to be changed out of this for the better? Are they going to go back to their old ways? You know, that reminds me of, um, you know, speaking of, I was talking about like going on retreats earlier. There, there's a retreat that, that the youth group that I was in, it's called the Emmaus retreat. So it's based around the, the Emmaus Bible passage. And one of the, the, the last sort of talks or group discussions uh, of the retreat is, is called going back to Jerusalem. You know, it was after after the you know after they encounter Jesus and 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 the Bible passage, they have to go back to Jerusalem. So it's the and that whole talk is about like okay, you've taken everything you've learned, you know, you've had this sort of existential moment with each other, and and you learned about yourselves, and and you've you created these bonds, and and you haven't resolved all your problems, but you've you've at least grown in a way. Now you're going to go back into the real world because the real world is not that one room where you're all together and. And and you feel you felt safe, you know, for for a moment with each other. When you go back to the real world, you're going to encounter all those problems again, whether it's your parents and your social circles and and the bullies and all that. And and working in youth ministry, you know, like you encounter a lot of you know a lot of teens, a lot a lot of a lot of kids, where you think you you know they've they've grown enough to where they can be better, but then you know you'll there's always like the ones that you heard like oh well they. You know, they went back to the old ways and, and, and you hope that they can get back up. So, so yeah, that's, that's, I think that's another real, uh, real good message of the film is that it doesn't have the, ha you know, it's, it has a happy ending, but it's, again, it leaves, it leaves everything not Bit fully resolved. I was going to say, uh, I, I had no problem believing that, that, uh, Claire ended up with Bender because I've seen it a million times and, um, you know, and I think. Shelly, don't take this the wrong way, but I think some women look at men like that and say, I can fix him. 
I can oh, yeah. make him better. Yes. I can make him better. <laughs> I've known a lot of people like that for sure. Yeah, I no, have too. I was yeah. not raised that way. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, from my perspective, have, and, and, yeah. yeah. It, it, how often? How often, uh, Father Chip or, or Andrew, when, when you you know you were younger, guys? How often did you look at the, a, a, a really attractive, wonderful, nice girl? With that absolute jerk, like why is oh, she with yeah. him? You know, <laughs> like how could she possibly be with that guy? I, I think don't many examples of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's from so, like, I think guys have seen that a lot, and maybe John Hughes was playing that out in his own mind. That I that's think the was. sort of thing he saw. You know, it, it, and it may not be all that true necessarily. Uh, you know, it may not happen a lot, but I, he might have been playing that out that scenario. I can accept that. Uh, that premise there, Dom, that maybe he's playing it out a little heavy on the stereotype of the good girl being attracted to the bad boy. I just it that that was the one thing that really rubbed me. So yeah, <laughs> it wasn't the it wasn't the lipstick trick. <laughs> no, that was stupid. In the age of me, in the age of me too, it does come across a little bit differently now than it did back sure, then. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of things in that that may be uncomfortable. The idea that the kids in, in this in this story were all like, "Oh yeah, everyone's having having sex." You know, everyone in high school's having sex. I <laughs> I remember talking to my buddies in high school, and you know, and, and I was naive and, and innocent, and uh, you know, talking to them and like, uh, you know, is everybody having sex? And he's like, "Dude, nobody's having sex. Like, everybody's a virgin. They everybody's all just saying want to they're having sex. Like, everybody talked about it, exactly. But when yes. you drilled down, yeah, not right. everybody was. And, exactly. and I was a little uncomfortable with how with the movie's like forward presentation of it, like as in like this is a this is just a. I mean, I get teenagers are full of hormones, and it's all and for a lot of kid teenagers, it's uppermost in the mind. And I suppose that's part of making it authentic to the teen audience that's going to the movie. But the, as a, as an adult of teens mm -hmm. now, you know, they, I, I look at it and go, yeah, that's <laughs> I, I'm not comfortable with that that part of it. Uh, you know, that in the, uh, <laughs> the the pot smoking that that's the other one I'm not all that comfortable with. But uh, you you just reminded me of another detail that could never happen today, and that is in the assistant principal's office. There's a a calendar on the wall with yes. a a girl in like a red swimsuit <laughs> right. and like, the name of the company is rigid <laughs> rigid tools yeah yeah that it was like a baywatch calendar or something yeah yeah oh my gosh <laughs> yep no that wouldn't happen today you know what i did i i can't leave without mentioning the the carlo Car, was carl the custodian carl. And oh, I love Carl. Carl was 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 great. Everyone remembers like a custodian, like a, like Carl in their in school. Like there was there was that one cool custodian, and Absolutely. when Carl tells Vernon the truth, like like the kids haven't changed. Right. Kids are the same. Kids are the same every, and it's true. Kids are still essentially the same now in twenty twenty one because you've changed. And he, I love this. You took this job because you thought it'd be easy to, in having summers off, uh, and. And uh, then that scene ends with Verna thinking about how these kids are going to be running the country someday. Hey, guess what, Verna? They are. They. <laughs> we're Gen X and we're running extent. the country now. <laughs> well, sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Well, yeah, the old the old men are still running it. But uh, but we're not. We're coming up. We're coming up. Yeah, the millennials are going to jump us. <laughs> they are. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm coming I have for a you. feeling that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I have a feeling that's true because our generation, Dom, we are the first like latchkey kids, you know, and we're kind of, 
I don't want to say we're a forgotten generation, but we're an ignored generation. And, you know, but we don't care. And I think that's part of it. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, you want to go run the country? Go ahead. We'll <laughs> yeah. be sitting over here uh, doing our thing and you go run the country. Go yeah. ahead. Have fun. Yeah. You, you go, go have fun, Andrew. Yeah. We'll be we'll be rooting for you. <laughs> But we'll be over here, uh, you know, playing on our computer and reading our books and raising our kids and doing everything. You have fun. Yeah. I mean, if if most of our parents were at that tail end of the greatest generation, then that's how we were raised. We were raised to, you know, well, be independent. Think for yourself. Figure it out. You got a problem? Well, go figure it out. Don't right. whine and cry to me about it. Right. You right. Know? And then whatever happened, the boomers raised a bunch of, oh, <laughs> Stereotyping. I'm stereotyping, but boomers are boomers are my parents, right? The boomers as a generation were uh, in many ways. I don't want to run any like I'm not doing this saying this to run them down, but boomers and millennials there's a lot of, uh, are a lot alike, and in the, yes. the things that you've experienced, the upheavals in society, uh, the in in relating to the I mean generation skip like it's like a, it swings back and forth. Uh, I I don't think I'm not gonna say Gen Generation X is like the greatest generation. I mean, the greatest generation sort of stands alone. They they fought the Nazis and run and ran them into the ground and uh, lived through the depression. Survived the depression. That. Yeah, all, I mean they they are little they are literally the greatest generation. Uh, and Gen X, we got our issues. You know, there's plenty there's plenty wrong with our generation. Uh, but uh, the you know some of that 80s fashion notwithstanding. Uh, so, <laughs> but you know the, this generational the 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 identity is it is is very interesting this idea of how we very think of ourselves as very distinct now i i think mm. this is relatively new i don't like i think maybe it started with boomers at some point thinking you know that very very distinct generational identity and we've started to really think of ourselves as these cohorts of 20 years of birth you know when we were born it's it's an interesting phenomenon essentially what you know as carl says Kids are kids. Kids are always going to be kids. They're this, they're this, they haven't changed, essentially. You know, what we do to them changes. How we raise them maybe changes. But the kids are always going to be, they're, they're young adults who are ready to be adults in many ways. Their bodies as they're adults. They're, 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 they want to be independent. They want to have a self-identity. The question says, what do the adult adults, how do we help them with that? Are we... Uh, Andrew, as you said, are we uh, oppressing their souls or are, are we lifting them up and helping them to find out who they really are and called to be? Uh, and I think that's, if anything, that's my takeaway from the movie. A any last thoughts on on the movie and what we're talking about? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, for me, there were two two actors in that movie, um, uh, Molly Ringwald and, uh, and uh, Anthony Michael Hall, who were actually high school age students in that movie. The others were older actors. You know, Judd Nelson was 25 when he made that movie. And he looked it. <laughs> and he did. Yeah. He did. And Ali Sheedy was older too. So, um, you know, it was, it was for, for, for me though, I think, you know, and even um, Emilio Estevez, he was, he wasn't a high school, he was in his twenties too. So, you know, it was interesting to see that those two actors that were kind of, John Hughes staples muses, if you will. Um, uh, they were kids that were kids, you know, and I think that was interesting to me. I, I, I didn't know that at the time, uh, but I, you know, researching it and watching it again and, and, and looking at everything, it just, 
those two actors are of our of the Gen X generation. And I think, you know, it was interesting to watch, you know, through those eyes. And it was interesting to see them so young um, because they're, you know, they're much older now. And uh, obviously they're our age. And, um, you know, <laughs> much Anthony, older now. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Michael Hall. Thank you. Anthony Michael Hall is, uh, you know, he went from like a gangly kid to, you know, my in, inspiration. You know, yeah, <laughs> he went from the nerd to being like the first time I saw Anthony Michael Hall as like an adult in something like in in, in the two yeah. thousands. I'm like, that is not the same guy. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've ever seen either one of them in a role where they're an adult. I think I remember seeing him. It was a show called the Forty Four Hundred. I think it was. I think well, he, was he was also that. in the Stand, wasn't he? In the Stand, yeah, I think he the... was also in a version of the Stand. Yeah, and. Yeah. I'm going to look him up as an older actor. It's almost unrecognizable. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's he's a amazing. Was that handsome? He's a handsome guy. Oh yeah. I mean, buff and everything. I mean, just, wow. It was just, compl- it just I, turned out away. completely different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I read somewhere that uh, John Hughes always cast him in the role that was closest to John Hughes's own right. childhood, his own persona in the, that in makes the movie. Sense. That makes sense. And he's a fleshed out character. You know, I mean, he's more fleshed out, I think, than some of the others. But yeah, it's interesting. You could tell I, Hughes knew him. Yeah, <laughs> he knew him well. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was in what three, four, three or four. Yeah, Hughes movies. Like he was that. in a yeah, was, European. Yeah, I mean, he was yeah. in a Vacation. He was uh, sixteen National candles. Lampoon. This sixteen candles. Ferris Bueller, not Ferris Bueller. I'm sorry. Uh, Weird Science. Weird, he was weird not, science. Weird science. Yes. Underrated movie, in my opinion. And Christmas so Vacation. And yeah, I think that's it. He wasn't in Christmas Vacation. Uh, Leonard from Big Bang was in Christmas Vacation. It was in the. He was in the <laughs> first uh, National Lampoon Vacation where they go to Disney World. That's not right. Disney World. That's Wally Mo- World. Wally, Wally Moose, World. Wally, yeah. Right, thank you. Wally World. Right. Right. Um, Wally World's closed. <laughs> so it was at least at least four, because he wasn't in um, Pretty in Pink. No, they brought John no. Cryer in for that one. Right. right. Uh, so actually, I want to mention if uh, if you read Ready Player Two, the sequel to Ready Player One, there's a huge section about John Hughes in there. Is there's a huge section about John Hughes and John Hughes movies. Really? The book isn't the book isn't very good, but uh, <laughs> sadly, uh, but it was very interesting reading it uh, and and thinking about that as I was watching this movie. Uh, but we're, uh, I want to give all, all other last thoughts. Uh, Andrew, any last thoughts on this movie? Um, all I'll say is. Uh... I think this movie, you know, with with its all all the eighties, uh, you know, stereotypes and cliches that I think we can still appreciate now. Obviously, um, it's a movie that I think a lot of people should watch and and stands the test of time. Again, the the deeper themes that I think, like like you mentioned earlier, I think I don't think even the critics realized, you know, it was it was aiming for at the time about that we talked about throughout this podcast about friendship about education and parents, uh, you know, oppressing the soul and then so on and so forth. I think, you know, a lot of films really can't even aim to achieve what this film achieved and, and, and sort of bringing that out. And, and yeah, I hope that, I hope that a lot more people discover it. I know it's a movie that uh, is still popular and, and, and I hope that a lot of, a lot of teenagers discover it and, and, and uh, maybe, and, and I'm sure they can relate to it. And and it's and it's freaking hilarious, <laughs> especially yes, watching yes. it now. We, we didn't um, mention all the hilarious bits. Yes. But yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> Hopefully and, they and, don't remake it. Yeah, 
Don't remake yeah, it. Yeah, this one, don't touch it, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever studio's out there trying to remake this, please just leave just it alone. Yeah, leave it alone. <laughs> Shelly, I'll give you the last word. Okay, well, I think that uh, I think this movie really resonates today still because it captures high school. And while the times may be different, the social media is a new way of communicating and bullying. It's it's all still um, a place where we're trying to find our identity and become who we are going to be. And what this shows is that if you give yourself a chance, you can learn to see not not you, you can learn to see beyond your stereotyped group and get a new perspective and see the human person that's in the the people that are around you in the hallways or on your social media feed. And as we've been talking, those of us who work in youth ministry, we see these people even today. Um, maybe they're hyper uh, amplified in this movie, but that's to make us look up and pay attention to them. Um, and I know there were supposed to be a sequel, but it never happened because of the relationship between John Hughes and, and Judd Nelson. And they, they would never work together again. Um, and I'm actually okay with there never being mm. oh, yeah. a, a sequel to this Me too. film. Yeah. 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 No way it could live up. Excellent. Good. Thank you for, for that. That's a great way to wrap it up. So as we uh, finish up, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movies and TV shows, including David G, Rick A, Christina T, Dennis G, and Jeffrey F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We want to hear from you. What do you think of The Breakfast Club? Are you Gen X? Did you Was this your movie? Are you younger or older? What do you think? We want to hear from you. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash secrets or the StarQuest Facebook page or send an email to secrets at sqpn.com. Until next time, Shelly Kelly, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of The Breakfast Club. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Andrew Hermes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Father Chip Hines, thank you as well. Thank you for organizing it, as always. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. <laughs>